themselves and 360 the world. Jamie Neal, the host, asks many questions about their mindset and how they fundamentally operate their world and the world around them. Hello and welcome back to 360 Yourself. I hope you're doing very well. Um, it's a lovely sunny day in Devon where I'm at. Um, I've got a brilliant guest with me today. I've got Katie Lipson. How are you doing, Katie? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for having me. No worries. So whereabouts are you chatting from today? Are you in London? Whereabouts are you? Yes, I'm in central London um, in my home office in King's Cross. Oh, nice. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, it's, I spend a lot of time in here, even, you know, all, all year round, really. Um, and it's very bright and sunny and it often, you know, really helps me focus on work, actually. It's a really good space. That's good. Have you, how have you been uh, in the lockdown? Have you gone out much? Or have you been mostly in your kind of your office, just kind of pondering um, thoughts and that sort of thing? Yeah, I've been at home um, pretty much all the time. I go for a walk around the block or to the supermarket, but it's been very you know, static really for about three months. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. And uh, it's kind of adjusted, I think, yeah. quite quickly. There's always a lot to do. So, well, you know, we'll probably talk about it more, but, you know, you find the time to actually do quite a lot of creative things at this time. Yeah, because you, like in, in normal kind of life or and when we're kind of working, you're so busy, you've got so many, ha your hands and so many different pies, it's uh, it's amazing. So to get this time with you to actually just chat, like personally, it's it's brilliant. Um, well, so what, what I want to know is, what is your kind of beginnings? Where did it all start, like as a, as a, as a, as a producer, but all, as also as a person, like all your kind of creative pursuits? Yeah, well, um, I was brought up in a very musical house. My mum loved, loves uh, music and musical theatre. So when I was brought up, there was a piano at home. My mum would sing a lot. My parents and grandparents took me to the theatre a lot. So from very, very early on, I was immersed in the world of musicals. And I knew everything. You know, I watched all those movies when I was a kid, all the MGM show uh, movies, and um, ultimately knew at a very young age that I loved theatre and I was quite musical. I learned the piano, I was singing in the choir, I had singing lessons, I eventually had cello lessons and guitar lessons, I got involved with amateur dramatics, I wrote a little bit on the piano and I generally just was, you know, quite a reasonably musical person. I didn't, I wasn't a child prodigy, I wasn't um, interested in being a classical pianist or anything like that, but I was just generally very you know, encouraged and, and moved and connected with musical theatre. Um, and it was never, I never made it my full-time life, is in I was always very interested in academia and studying at school, but I was very happy, basically, with my passion for theatre and musicals, really, and music. Um, and it was musical theatre that I was mostly drawn to and classical music as a musician. And I did, I took all my instruments very seriously. You know, I did all of the 
exams and training and grades um, and took them all very far and played in orchestras. Um, and ultimately, as I got older and started to obviously decide what I wanted to pursue as, you know, higher education. So roughly when I was 16, 17, um, you know, I went to a very good school and they just say to me, maybe you should do a, a, a musical drama degree. And I just said, you know, I, I don't think I want to do that at this point. I think I want to study science, which funnily enough was the other thing I really loved, biology and chemistry. And I actually applied in the end for university to study genetics. Um, so I decided when I was younger that I didn't want to make music my my career because I thought that then I wouldn't have a passion. But that's the 16, 17 year old Katie speaking. And obviously now I'm a lot wiser and I, and I know a lot more. And I didn't know what a producer was. I, you know, at that time I thought I'd do a music degree and what would I be? A, 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 you know, I didn't know what career opportunities would open up after that. So um, ultimately I did a, a genetics degree for a year at UCL in London and that brought me to London and actually what happened then was at university I was in the Amateur Dramatic Society and met a fellow sort of enthusiast, um, musical theatre enthusiast, who became my sort of best friend and we were inseparable and we ended up writing a mini opera together when we were 18. And he said to me, look, Katie, let's put it on. And actually that is the first sort of um, opportunity I had to put on a show. Um, so I was putting on shows from the age of 18 I was musically directing them, so I was behind the piano. And I was having a really good time putting on a little show in a church hall using a bit of savings I had. Mm. Um, and that's kind of how the producing um, began. Funnily enough, the story continues um, in that I didn't finish that genetics degree. I didn't enjoy it. The only thing I enjoyed was putting on these shows with my friend Giles, the boy that I met at university. Mm -hmm. And I said to my parents, I'm 19. I really don't want to go back to do the genetics, but I really don't know what I want to do. So they said, well, you need to figure it out, Katie. And that's when I was sort of, I always read the stage and I always read what's on stage. At the back of my mind, I still love singing and I still, you know, love performing. And um, even at school, I did play a lot of lead roles in shows like West Side Story and Guys and Dolls and Fiddler on the Roof and Assassins. But I still wasn't 100% sure that performing was my route. But ultimately, I was 19. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I saw this one-year course at the LSMT, the London School of Musical Theatre. But what drew me in was um, the fact that they had an original composer called Charles Miller attached to the school. And I, I read that he would write an original musical. So I applied for that school. I got in and I knew it was a year. And I graduated there when I was 20 years old with an agent who started representing me as an actor mm -hmm. and a musician. And then I realized that I was probably good enough to do musical direction. So I started to musically direct shows around the UK and Europe. I worked as an actor musician and I worked as the MD of this company that I ran with my colleague at university and we put on shows. So um, three years later, I also completed a classical music degree. So from the age of 18 to 23, I'd done all of this education. I'd had a degree in the end in classical music, the thing that I was told to do from the start at the school. Mm -hmm. But I'd also produced 10 shows with this organisation, MD'd European tours, sung in, in hotels as a singer, you know, as a cocktail pianist and mm -hmm. a singer, um, had written a couple of musicals, had musically directed and had acted. And I'd done all of that. And when I sat down and thought, what is it that I really like out of all of these things? And producing was the one that I thought, you know what? 
that that seems to be me i don't like these auditions i love MDing, but it, it's not for me i'll never be the best you know i always wanted to be the best at what i did and i thought i'm not sure i want to be the best at this but producing is something that i think really ticks a lot of boxes for me and actually as i've grown up i realized that my personality has always suited multitasking mm-hmm. and some of my happiest memories in education was doing my GCSEs mm-hmm. because actually when you think about it you're doing 11 12 subjects and that's when I thrived the diversity of subjects the different teachers the smaller classes and as a producer now I thrive on doing many many projects development projects fringe projects UK tours immersive theatre like I, I like to be across many ideas with many creatives buzzing and, and, and trying to facilitate other people's creative visions. Um, so that's a, a sort of five-minute summary of how I got to here. Aria wasn't born really till 2012. I had the idea probably in 2010, 11, that that company with my colleague wasn't really going anywhere where I wanted it to because it was just doing new musicals. And I thought, what would happen if I actually set up my own company that focused on everything to do with theatre? plays, musicals, revivals, and new writing, and I spread my wings as wide as you know I could. And that's sort of what I've been doing since 2012. Now, eight years later, 70 shows down, um, and we were entering a very exciting year, which I hope will still happen next year. But, you know, I've spent a long time on lots of stepping stones to get to where I am, which comes with raising money, getting a brand, getting a reputation, so that you can actually be taken seriously with the with the sorts of bigger names and the bigger investors. Yeah, because I mean, you obviously are the artistic director of the Hope Mill uh, Hope Mill Theatre. Brilliant! I mean, and creates amazing stuff. And I think it was uh, Spring Awakening uh, that was up there as well. And you've done amazing things of like Adam's Family and Hair and Pippin and and Toxic Avenger and and all these brilliant shows. And I think as a producer, it is a stepping stone. You just can't just jump to doing kind of big Broadway, big things. It is like a little kind of like stepping stone bit by bit because you have to kind of get your trust from the kind of investors that you can do these massive kind of big budget shows. As a lead producer as well, you know, if you actually look at, uh, not that age is anything, but, you know, you'll see there's probably a certain amount of years behind most lead producers. You don't just launch in at 21 and say you lead produce a West End show. It's very rare. But it takes years, as you say, to build up, the money to build up the reputation to build up the good ideas mm. um i did work as the producing artistic director of hope mill from its inception uh, which was 2016 till last year actually mm. now we've sort of gone our separate ways but um, it was a wonderful three years and um and some amazing projects 13 projects and we're all very grateful to, for the opportunity to create such brilliant work together and it's been great for you know for me to have done these shows, you know, uh, there was a time when I fell in love with this new musical called Yank, I'm just looking at it on my wall, mm. and uh, I couldn't get a London theatre for this show, and I, when I showed it to the boys at Hope Mill, and they said, oh, it's fantastic, I thought, wow, you know, when, when you've got a space, or you have a partnership with a space, you have the ability to bring shows without so much as anyone giving you a barrier, so I started to learn very quickly that gatekeepers and people saying yes or no was something that was always going to hold one one back as a producer and actually being in control of a venue and having the ability to put what you want on when you want was actually a great facility to have Mm, for sure 
And and what uh, what made you kind of set up the from page to stage festival? Like, what was your kind of like passion for new musicals, rather than just going, I'm just going to do commercials. I'm just going to revive things. Well, two things. One, I always wanted to be original. I don't know what it was, but I never wanted to do shows that other people had done. It was just something about it. I don't know what it is, but I think it's my passion and my drive. Really, I wanted to be seen to be original and even my revivals are slightly quirky I don't do the obvious mm. um and I also do shows that haven't been seen for 50 years like MAME um and you know Pippin's not been done that much and you know I find shows that haven't been seen or their premieres or their European premieres um I realized as well very early on that acclaim and longevity comes from new work revivals only run so long yes you can make a, a quick buck for the right one but it's not easy, and there's only so many. So ultimately, every great producer I admire has been behind a new musical. Everything. Les Mis was a new musical when Cameron did it. Mm. You know, um, all of them, from Rent to Spring Awakening to The Band's Visit to Hades Town to Dear Evan Hansen to Come From Away, you know, they are all original, and the producers behind them that's where they get their acclaim. That's where they get their name. That's what gives them the apparatus to take more risks or to or to do some other shows that might not emulate the success of them. So ultimately, revivals only go so far. And to be honest with you, especially in the UK, there's only so many revivals that you can do on the road. Mm. We don't tour 42nd Street. We don't tour some of the shows that might go on an American tour because, I don't know, American musical theatre and the history of it is not ingrained in our culture in the same way. So mm. it's difficult for some titles to go on the road in England. You have to be very selective. Mm. You've got only so many audience, you know? Yeah, and so and so with your kind of passion for kind of producing new original musicals and, and the situation that we are, we are in within the theatre, how do you foresee building that sort of kind of area that you're interested in in terms of the climate that we have instead of just going, okay, we need to... We need to make sure that we're producing musicals that we know that will sell to build up the revenue now and then reinvest in the the original stuff? Well, I think you have to look at the world I'm in. I, I'm quite lucky and unique in the sense that I built my career from the fringe and you can't compare what I do from a day-to-day to Sonia Freeman, who's obviously a huge inspiration. I mentioned her because I just read her article on, in The Guardian about how she'll be back, you know, um and she'll be back and bigger than ever because that's you know she's such an incredible she's powerhouse (laughs) yeah exactly you can't compare what i do to what she what she does because Mm. the the economic model's different she's relying on a much larger network of people she's relying you know so from a new writing perspective i feel like if i stay um within the worlds i trust and know which is why I've done such a huge volume because I've been doing these rare shows on a smaller scale for a limited period of time, Mm. very different economic model to going, right, we're going to do a nine-month revival of MAME in the West End. It's Mm. very different. So I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue even more championing new work. In fact, I think that there'll be more demand for it now Mm. than before. And I know I'm probably in a slightly stronger position having had a bit more experience than other fringe producers so I'm a bit more daring I'm probably more willing to get up quicker than others because I've got more understanding of the model I've got more understanding but don't get me wrong I've, I've been very burnt by new musicals and I've lost a lot of money over the years of you know by, by putting them on and I have to say that when I do it when I do a revival at Southwark Playhouse I'm more likely to make my money back 
So even at a great venue like Southwark, you're more likely to, you know, it's, it's harder with something mm. new. And, and, that, and they have a strong musical theatre audience. So ultimately, uh, I'm going to continue to listen for new voices, invest in them, watch their development, hopefully find some money to commission. Um, I'm working on a venture to try and mentor um you know young artists i haven't announced this yet actually but young artists that maybe don't have the opportunities that others do you know there's lots of initiatives i'm thinking about but ultimately i don't know i don't know if anyone can predict that's a safe hit let's do it i think it's it just depends what world you're in but mm. i don't i don't think anything is safe anymore yeah you yeah pouring something that's a great title that everybody knows and it's not successful you know yeah yeah and and you you come across with such pizzazz and uh, and a gap and go sort of attitude when you have those kind of uh wouldn't say fails but when you have a, a moment that you're being challenged how do you personally respond to those sort of things mm. well you know it's funny joe because like i've been reflecting on this and there have been i would say single occurrences over the last eight years like one or two three times where I've gone this is just too hard mm. I can't do it and I have a moment of self-doubt but luckily for me I've bounced back very quickly I don't know why I guess well passion and belief and knowing I think I don't, I don't know I read a lot of articles from producers who have you know sadly either gone bankrupt and got, got back up again or have been at the end of their sort of thinking that it's the, it's the end and they've got back up it's just something about us it's in our dna we just have to do this it's almost like a, an addiction mm. <laughs> to putting on shows to to do it being creative and it's one of the toughest things because obviously like you know you have to understand everything so well as well as managing people as well as understanding finance as well as managing investors as well as selling to audiences you have to know everything mm. and be on top of everything and delegate and know how to not micro micromanage but do it in a way that you trust other people and mm. it's tough i mean yeah i've had moments i've had lots of low moments i've had moments where i've thought gosh my mental health's taking a real a real battering here and it's made me think a lot about how I have to delegate maybe more and, and realise that I can't be in control of everything and things aren't always going to be happy. Because when you start the business, you know, you have to remember for the first five years of Aria, I didn't earn a penny. It was all fringe work. I never had a fee. I put all my own money in. I was still working as a vocal coach. That's what I did to earn money from the age of like, I don't know, 20, 20 when I came out of... Um, the, the university doing classical music okay I was 23 and I came out for five years I worked as a vocal coach that's how I paid my bills and only in 2016 17 um, when I had the Adams family or just before then I thought I'm going to go full-time now I've only been making a salary for Marius for um four years you know mm. so <laughs> you know it's it's only new I'm very new to what I consider being a commercial producer yeah. But um, in the early days, what I was going to say is when I didn't earn money, it was very important that I enjoyed myself even more so. And it was very important that I felt valued and appreciated and part of the company and as valued to, to the actors and the creators as much as they were to each other. Because for me, it was passion keeping me going. And mm. if I wasn't going to have a good time and feel valued, um, which is very important to me, actually, because when you're working 40 hours a week for no money... You want to feel like you're part of a team of and course. what you're doing it. 
you know, valued. And I still do now. It doesn't matter whether I'm earning money or not. But obviously, there's a bit of con- there's a concession if you are earning earning money that kind of keeps you going. You go, well, at least I earned money. It wasn't a great experience. But usually, I'm happy to say 90% of my experiences have been joyous. They've been wonderful, wonderful people, wonderful artists, mm. wonderful collaborations. And they've been and they keep me going because because I love them, you know, I love the shows, I love the people. Good. I mean, it's, it's, it's important to do everything that you love. But what, what I want to know is from when you, you were younger, did you, did you have much of kind of um, motivation and push from your parents to really be successful? And, and that's the, that's where you kind of got your drive and your kind of ambitiousness. The irony is, no, they weren't pushy. Um, they were just, they're just very easygoing parents in many ways. Um, I was just naturally a pretty good girl at school. You know, I worked hard. I liked school. I valued it. I liked and appreciated what my parents gave me. Um, I was very privileged to have all these wonderful opportunities to go to extracurricular activities. And I think my parents invested in me because they knew I valued it. Mm. They knew that my piano lessons I loved. So my dad loved to keep giving me them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knew I loved them. He wouldn't have done it if he thought, even if he could have afforded it, he wouldn't have done it if he felt I was wasting his money. Mm-hmm. That's what my dad was like. That, that's what he was like. So, you know, they they just allowed, I say we, because my brother's very successful architect and very ambitious. And we both are very ambitious. And they never really pushed us, but they absolutely love what we do and they relish in coming to see our shows um my productions and his shows that he designs um mm-hmm. different pop stars and really um yeah they they let us get on but i just think we were both i don't know i think we were nurtured my mum was really hands-on she was very hands-on mm-hmm. and she she really i don't know she she offered us these opportunities and we really wanted them so i guess either we were lucky the pair of us that there was a piano in the house I took to it. She took us to shows. She said, do you want to do this? Yes, we do. Okay. You know, it was kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, luckily it, it worked. It worked out. And hats off to them. When I just decided to drop out that degree, they didn't give me much grief. They just, That's really they good. were quite supportive, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's really, because obviously some, some, if you're doing a degree in something and then you say to your parents, look, I'm going to drop out. Most people, most people would be like, what you're dropping out your degree are you are you sure about that but it's amazing that your parents were so supportive yeah they were and I have to say like that when I have had hard days of producing and I talk to my dad and sometimes he finds it very difficult to listen to the world I'm in and the money and the risk and the losses and he's like this is crazy are you sure you want to do this Mm. and I go yep and then he just goes I'm so proud like I'm so amazed with Mm. you know what you put yourself through and yeah. how many shows you make and how many you do. And they've seen all of them pretty much. My mum's definitely seen every single show I've done. My dad's probably seen 80% of them. Aww. And, you know, the Hope Mill was a real joy because it was my hometown. I don't know if I said that Manchester's where I I didn't know that. I didn't know. Oh, okay. Makes sense. So that, that was a draw. You know, when I put hair on, knowing it was my mum's favourite show in the world, Aww. and my my grandma sat in the audience. Oh, what thrill you must have got for yourself. Oh my gosh, and she looks around singing all the songs, Good Morning Starshine. It's oh. such a joy to see them seeing. And Mummy did Rags with Stephen Schwartz, the story of Jewish immigrants to America, mm. which obviously we're Jewish and it's a big part of our culture. And, you know, and that was a really moving experience to see 
that story being told because my grandma's sort of great-grandparents on one side and grandparents on the other were immigrants to from Russia to Manchester. So mm. it was a sort of mirror image to that. So that gave me a lot of joy to do shows in Manchester because of my family, being able to see them first, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and being... Uh so ambitious and i can only i can only relate because i'm very ambitious and i uh, i have that personality that i go okay what next because you are multi multi talented and, and, and a polymath of lots of different kind of areas and you've got your hands in lots of different pies and you you're you're risking a lot all the time financially and emotionally your mental health is obviously going to be affected how do you how do you regulate that and how do you have time off and what do you do in those moments where you're one just having a moment of chill or reflection how do you kind of cope i think you learn more about yourself as you keep as you go on and i've i've learned that i must be quite resilient i've learned that because i didn't realize i was but then i look back at what i've done and what i've had to had to deal with at times and i think wow i'm still here i obviously do have bandwidth and actually this article sonia freeman put out today she said you have to be um what she say covered in teflon or something you have to you read it but it's true you have to be built like incredibly um strong to keep getting up you know mm. uh, because it's incredibly you have to be very resilient you know um she says you have to be teflon coated were her words i love that <laughs> um but yes i as i've grown up a bit more as in i'm not going to lie in the early years i my early 20s to sort of sort of late 20s I really didn't stop I really didn't stop I worked so hard like 80 90 hours a week and weekends and wasn't earning any money but I was just learning and learning and learning and watching and listening and going to see things and reading and meeting new people and I kept thinking that if every minute wasn't full full with something I wasn't doing enough that's me Um, daily (laughs) I can totally relate but now I've started to like, I do enjoy traveling. I do enjoy the outdoors. I like nature. I like the sun. I like watching educational things on telly. I haven't watched any films during lockdown on Netflix. I've watched like David Attenborough and people doing up the homes and people going around the world tasting different cuisines, things that can nurture you and mm. help you. Stay. Um, I like, I like fine dining. I like to go out to eat. I like, you know, having a glass of wine. That relaxes me mm. going out with, you know, loved ones and friends and yeah, but you know, I like to work hard too. I don't, that, that balance of having a two days off a week is enough for me. I need mm. to keep, I have two days off like the weekend and then I'm like back on it, you know? Yeah, no, no, it's, it's true. It's, it's so difficult to really have that sort of balance when you're so persistent to, to succeed and to better yourself and to, to improve yourself daily. I think, I think it's that, that whole thing that time time is really short and I don't know if you feel this I feel this quite a lot that I I'm impelled compelled to to keep learning because I I want to better myself to help other people and serve other people with with my knowledge and and to to meet new people and to experience new things and I think it's quite difficult when you kind of have that kind of personality or that kind of ambition to go to be successful but also to know okay it's okay to have two days off and rest and to really reflect because that's really important for the other things that are going on in your life. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think as we carry on getting older and doing bigger projects and it's very important to be able to switch off, it's not good for anyone's mental health. I I do think one thing I still need to be better at, I have this block on my phone after an hour of social media 
But uh, sometimes I sort of like ignore the block. Like I sort of like it's something you can do on your iPhone. You can ask your phone yeah, to your, yeah. After after it, block, it it turns off, doesn't it, or something? Yeah, and I'm a really I, what I, what, another thing I've realised about me. Like I don't actually need need it. Like if I leave my phone upstairs, I don't think about it. Mm. But if I have my phone next to me, I look at it. So sometimes when I go on holiday, I leave my phone in my in my drawer. I'll just leave on the ringer, but I won't. I'll turn off the four G so that there's no way I can be disturbed, and I don't miss it when it's out of sight. It's out of mind. That's what I find with me. But if the phone's on the table, I'm going to check my emails. So I have to sort of be extreme like that. That's what I'm like with many things, actually. Like yeah. if I want to buy a pack of biscuits, I know that sounds ridiculous. I I can't. I can't buy a pack buy a pack of biscuits. I have to buy just one because I eat the whole pack. You know? Well, it's the same it's thing. The same thing with me with my phone. I have to if I'm working. I'm writing. I can't. I if my if I can see the phone on the table, I get really distracted. Like I don't know what it is, so I put it underneath like paper, or I just kind of put it away somewhere so that I don't have to see it. And I think that's what yeah. it's. A, it's a, such a shame that. Social media is brilliant because it connects people and you're marketing yourself and all that sort of thing. But then there's also that sort of like danger where you kind of step over the mark and then it becomes detrimental to your actual product productivity because there's a difference between busy and being productive. Correct. And I think, yeah, and actually there's so much noise on social media. Mm. Um, it's hard to filter what you want to read. And that, that's difficult. Um, it's difficult. But it does it does teach you a lot about trends as well, just in commercial trends and you know, I don't know. It's interesting. It's certainly developing a lot, uh, isn't it? Recently, social media and it's it's changed the world a lot, and um, well, it's changed the arts a lot as well. You know, for sure, it 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 changes and influences the way that we see things and and the way that we produce things. And I'm so I'm I'm assured that because we are living so digitally at the moment, and because we're so um, ad adaptive to other different kind of influences and cultural influences because we're seeing it through the phone that our work and our creative work is going to completely be uh, be changed dramatically because we are we're because we're more on our phone because we're seeing more content and more things are happening within the space of other people's kind of environments yeah i think that the phone or social media can be used to elevate and profile new work and new artists mm. i'm not sure that digital platforms everybody's like quite sad that they didn't film their show so they can't show it now i think whilst that's true people will archive i don't think the way forward is you know watching on youtube um, a live stream i think that's brilliant for now but ultimately i think the digital platform is more for the showcasing of an idea which will then elevate something to the next level mm -hmm. which will then allow engagement in a different way um on this hopefully on in a live experience again because there's nothing there's nothing better than a live experience i think digital like you know like video musicals or little shorts or things like that they're quite cute or animations i think things like that are really exciting and i think we're having more movie musicals and things like that but i think that yeah i i think don't know how we got on social media i think i, I left to it they were switching off but yeah it's more just just kind of like not being able to it's just repetitive behavior, really, mm. and, and engage, you know, being self-aware. You know, if you're watching a movie but you're checking your emails, you're not really watching the movie, and it's, mm. it's things like that. You're going to miss things, and you're not totally in the moment, and you have to be totally in the moment. You mm. know? Yeah, it's true. It's I think it's to do with discipline. It's going like in your in your life, going okay, I'm going to run. 
and I'm going to do the run for an hour and that's it. And I'm not going to talk to anyone. I'm not going to do that sort of thing. Or again, what you say about limiting yourself and blocking yourself for like an hour. I'm only going to be on the phone for like an hour. And after, after that, then you get other things to do. But I think if you then don't give yourself uh, little kind of guidelines and, and rules or whatever, it, you don't actually get anything done. Exactly. Exactly. It's very easy to procrastinate as well. And a lot of time in our industry, we are waiting for someone to answer an email. Yeah. Uh, and so as you grow your business and you start maybe employing a general manager to do your contracts and your budgets and your invoices and the day-to-day management of a show, as a producer, you spend your time with artists, new creatives, a script, an investor, a venue, and you're doing the wider network building sort of exercises and mm. you're going to the marketing meeting and you're that's what what's exciting about when you take the next level as a producer so you're able to do more bigger projects because the day-to-day management which can be a lot of work mm. is handled by general management because mm. that isn't necessarily producing that is general management it's different mm. parts on the fringe you do it all you do it all in one because it's so small and you can't afford a separate person but that's what's taught me you see because i've had to do all the general management of all those shows for the last you know six seven years yeah so um but i'm very looking forward to not to doing less and less of that administration because i want to be free yeah for to sure travel and to find artists and to come up with ideas and to models and you know coming up with brave things i'm even thinking about things now you know post coronavirus or at the end of it or whatever what can i do that's creative what can i do that's out the box you know Mm-mm, for sure and and you, because you meet so many people in your daily life um with so many different creative people what would you what would you say that has been the best advice or the best quote that you've that you've been given or you that you've learned over the years well i actually love this quote it's quite it's a bit well it's not long but it's um good things come to those who wait you know this one, better yeah, things one. come to those who try and the best things come to those who never give up. Mm, love that. Repeat that, repeat that, repeat that again, okay. repeat that again, because I love that. Good things come to those who wait, better things come to those who try, the best things come to those who never give up. Yeah, it's about persistence, isn't it? Persistence is absolutely everything. Can any motivational speaker or any actor or any kind of person in the creative field or whatever, it's literally about sheer pers- persistence, isn't it? Yeah, you have to be. And I say this, when when people, and I still consider myself relatively at this beginning of my career, but if I do meet someone that's really at the very start of their career, um, and they go, gosh, Katie, you've done so much, it's so great, how did you get there? And they're being very lovely and, and, and they're admiring what I've done. I say to them, it was a lot of work mm. and I'm only at the beginning. Like, I make it very clear that it didn't just happen. No, I grafted, grafted for a long time before I sort of started to earn any money. Mm. Um, what kept me going was, I guess, the love. I didn't even think about, really, the bigger picture. I was less commercially oriented at the beginning. I was just wanted to get by. It was always just about putting on lots of work and opening doors. And as I carried on, I got more and more ambitious to think about the larger-scale shows and, and, the, and the longevity. And I realised that a successful show commercially would only allow me great to do great things as in invest in young talent invest in new talent and uh use that money and success to nurture new people Mm-mm. for sure for sure well i want to say thank you very very much for giving me your time because it's been really really wonderful to like to tap into the way that you think and, and your journey 
I always say to everyone that I, I meet on the podcast is I'm never really interested in, in where they are at present. I'm always interested in the journey that they got there and how they've changed their mindset and where they've changed their mindset in what points in their life. So it's really, really fascinating to chat to you. Thank you. I've loved it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, and thank you so much. So um, you will be able to uh, listen to the podcast, everyone, uh, in a couple of weeks time. And it's on every Sunday at 12 p.m. So thank you so much, Katie. Thanks for having me. Thank you then. Bye. Bye. This is 360 Yourself and I'm Jamie Neal. Thank you very much for taking a moment to listen to our wonderful guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our brilliant guest episodes. They are released every Sunday at 12pm. We are available on all listening platforms, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Google Podcasts and Castro. You can also find us on Instagram at 360 underscore yourself, Twitter at yourself360 and our host at Jamie Neal JN. Thank you for listening.